How's everybody doing out there? Yeah, it's the holiday season. It's fun. It's busy. It's energetic. The family's together. Lots of good food. No homework. I thought that would get a louder amen from the front row. The parents were more the ones saying amen in the back. And, but, uh, but, you know, sometimes you need a little encouragement. You need a little strengthening. You need some reassurance. You need your faith built up. Today's one of those days. This sermon's going to do that for you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to make you feel special. It's going to make you feel loved by God. It's going to give you strength. And I think you're going to be amazed. You know, when we think of Christmas, oftentimes it, it all surrounds the birth. And we kind of view that the beginning of Jesus. But the Bible says, no, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus. That was just the beginning of human Jesus. And if you go over to the Gospel of John, see, Jesus was around long before he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. You say, well, how, how long ago was Jesus around? Well, in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we're going to hit just a few highlights here, but it says, in the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down in verse 11, it says, He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The Bible tells us that Jesus always has been. They called him the Word. They said in the beginning was the Word. He was with God. He was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. How long ago did Jesus exist? From the very beginning. Jesus was not created. He was with God. In fact, the Bible says that all creation occurred through Jesus. So when we celebrate his birth in Bethlehem, that's just a different starting point. But it's not the starting point. You see, God had his plan in mind for you, his spectacular vision for mankind from the beginning of time. Before our universe existed, before there was one Adam, all there was was God. And it existed in his mind eye. And he created what would become us. He had you in mind to give you a very special privilege, a very special right. You say, well, what what kind? Well, the right to become born of God. 
said, oh, it's going to be through Jesus, the one that was with God, the one that created the universe. And yes, then the one that was made flesh in a manger in Bethlehem. See, God had this picture of you living your life here in Santa Clarita, wherever you were born, whatever part of the world. And then God knew what would happen. And he said, I want to give you a very special privilege. It's unique. It's so amazing. There's no way it could happen by chance. You know, maybe this is your first time to church in a while and you're going, wow. I mean, I didn't really come to church expecting to hear uh, something like this. I just wanted to hear some great music, which we have. But God says, no, I, I had a plan all along. And you know what? You have privileged status. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to my son. I want to give you the chance. To become a child born of God. So John starts way, way, way back in the beginning and then says the word became flesh. Now you go over to Matthew's gospel. And he talks about the birth of Jesus. But even before the baby was born, angels had conversations. First of all, they had one with Mary to explain what was going to happen. And she had an amazing response. And so, you know, if Joseph is the guy that was supposed to marry her, and her explanation is, well, God's made a baby inside of me. If you're Joseph, you're a little skeptical of that, so it's fair that the angel gave him a conversation too. And in verse 21, it says, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a prophecy that's fulfilled roughly 800 years later. And so his name and who he was, God with us, eight centuries before he was born in a manger... The angel gave instructions to Joseph to make it clear, hey, make sure you name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. That's you and me. And Matthew embarks on a journey. Now, the Gospel of Matthew was written to people of Jewish descent. And they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Christ. And so from Matthew's viewpoint, the most astounding thing to convince them would be all these scriptures, all these prophetic scriptures that would say, hey, let me give you a detailed glimpse into the life of the Messiah hundreds and hundreds of years later. And Matthew said, this is the most incredible way for me to convince you of who Jesus was. And so it starts there and just says, he's God with us. This was a totally different concept because how the Jews grew up was God was out there. He was master. He was Lord. But he was not God with you. They could not come into his presence. Only the high priest could, and that was once a year. So God with us was a a totally new, 
dynamic that was being ushered in. Well, Matthew continues. And the Magi, the wise men, they come and they see the star. So they come to Jerusalem and in chapter 2, they ask, verse 2, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, uh, the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's a, a prophecy from Micah. Again, 700 years before. And the chief priests knew about this. They said, oh yeah, the scriptures say that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the wise men come and they ask. The wise men, or the, the chief priests actually quote the prophecy and say, well, here's how you're going to know to find him. Now, they don't actually respond to Jesus. And Herod's threatened by him. But it's amazing that they quote Micah. To give instructions to the three wise men. A little bit later. uh, After he's born. An angel warns him to go down to Egypt. And Herod is trying to kill the child. And it says in verse 14. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. This is from Hosea. So it's prophetic that he's going to go down to Hosea. Then the, cruci- or the uh, persecution of the boys, that was prophesied in Jeremiah. And so you have Matthew is just laying out amazingly different, distinct details about the birth of Jesus. And saying, here's how you know that this is the one. This is the word that became flesh. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is the, what the prophet said was going to happen. And so you have this detail and this detail and this detail and this detail. And here's something that's kind of cool. After Egypt, then they come back and they're not sure where to go. And it says they go to Galilee in verse 23. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, you know what's amazing about that? It says, so this was what was fulfilled uh, through the prophets, what they said. Now, do you know where in the Bible it prophesies that Jesus is going to be called a Nazarene? Nowhere. It's not in the Bible. Not everything that the prophets said is recorded in this book. But what's amazing is what the prophets said about the Messiah being from Nazareth was viewed as such an authoritative perspective that the Jews would need that prophecy fulfilled to also be convinced. So even though it was something they said, it was not something that was written and recorded, it was also authoritative. Throughout the life of Jesus, there are more than 60 direct prophecies that were fulfilled by his life. Now, we're just looking at the ones on the front end. You could look at his crucifixion, the kind of death he was going to die, and things like that. 
but just the ones around the birth. So he had more than 60 direct full prophecies fulfilled by the life of Jesus. And they estimate about 240 other references that you could call prophetic. But let's just stick with the 60. So Matthew is trying to convince you that you're special. Matthew is trying to convince you that God loves you so much that he's given you this amazing opportunity. And so Matthew's talking about these prophecies that are fulfilled. Now, I want to take a step back because the title of the sermon is, What are the Chances? And so let's just start. There were two mathematicians. uh, They were professors, one of them at Pasadena City College, that they came up with this idea. Hey, what are the mathematical chances that these prophecies would just be fulfilled by some random guy. And so they got their 600 students together, and it was a class assignment, and they worked on this. And they said, we're going to go with really conservative numbers so that if we have to estimate, we go really low to make it easier to be fulfilled. But we're just going to say, okay, what are the chances that eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled just so happens by Jesus. Well, if it was just eight, the number is so large that if I, if I showed you the number, you'd, you'd just be overwhelmed and go, that's a big number. So I'm going to use a different way to explain it. So take this coin and blindfold somebody and then say, all right, we're going to take the entire state of Texas and we're going to cover the state with coins. And then we're going to blindfold you, but before you get to pick your coin, it's not just one coin deep, it's two feet thick with these coins across the entire state of Texas. The chances that Jesus would be the one, just by chance, would be a blindfolded man Picking out of the entire state of Texas the one coin of Jesus Christ. That's eight prophecies. Now there's 60 direct ones, just eight. Now let's expand it a little bit. We're still using this coin. You say, what about 16? What if we, we backed up and said, what about Jesus fulfilling 16 prophecies? What would that number look like? Well, Texas would be far too small. It's a big state, but we're going to have to get bigger. In fact, we're going to have to get bigger than the earth because you'd have to make a solid ball of these coins. And you say, how big would this ball be? Well, it'd be a sphere the size of the orbit of the planet Neptune. And then you blindfold this person again. So this solid sphere of coins... And the blindfolded person has to go in this entire orbit of solid mass of coins and pick just the right one. Now, that's 16. You say, well, let's let's expand it even one more step. What if we went with 48? What would 48 look like? Well, the numbers are so large, a coin is far too big. So so we're going to get a little chemical here. We're going to use an electron. Okay, now to give you an idea of an electron, if you took little tiny electrons and you line them one right up next to each other, they wouldn't like that. They'd repel each other. But 
if you could. You put them all together in a line, it would take 2.5 quadrillion electrons for one inch. Okay, so that's how tightly packed they were. Okay, so there you have electrons. All right? Now, what's the biggest thing we know? Well, it's our universe. So we're just going to say, we're going to use the electron, and then we're going to try and compare it with the universe. The universe, approximate distance right now, 93 billion light years across. One light year, about 6 trillion miles. So it's big. So you take all these electrons and you fill up our universe. And you go, now we're going to send a blindfolded person to go pick one electron out of our entire universe. No, no, no. That's not enough. Because we'd actually make 255 septillion universes of electrons. You know, so you got million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, pentillion, sextillion, septillion. So that's, that's a huge number of universes, all filled tightly with electrons. What's the chances that Jesus would fulfill 48? Blind man has all those universes and has to go pick just one electron. You'd have to have really teeny tiny fingers because remember, an inch is a lot of electrons. You know, the, the numbers are staggering. You say, what, what's the point of the numbers? Why did God put prophecy in his scripture? Like, would it change who Jesus was if we didn't have the prophecies? No, Jesus would still be Jesus. He would still be the word of God born in the flesh. But God knew sometimes we just need our faith to be built up. Sometimes we need it just to be convinced. Sometimes we are convinced, but we just need encouragement. Sometimes we're called to a great decision of faith. We're going, I don't know. I mean, this is such a hard decision. And God's like, really? Jesus, one electron out of 255 septillion universes. I can do that. You're your life's easy. Your situation, so straightforward. We don't need to cover taxes with coins two feet deep and pick one out. You know why? Because the God that did that made you. And the amazing thing about Jesus is, is he answers the questions that we have. He answers the questions like, where do we go from here? He said in John 14, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the world will tell you all world religions are basically the same. It's kind of a different flavor, but they all lead to God. No, Jesus says, no, that's not true. You see, Jesus says, I'm I'm this guy. I'm, I'm the coin, the one that the blind man's trying to find. I'm the electron. No, I am the way. I'm not just one of many coins. I'm the coin. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He answers the question, how can I be saved? John tells us in chapter 3, for God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. That God came in the flesh and died on a cross for you. So that if you have faith, if you respond, you can be saved for an eternity. Maybe you're tired and you're weary. And you go, I just need help. I'm just overwhelmed with life. And I don't know what to do. I'm just discouraged. Jesus answers that question. He says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And John 10, he says, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. You know, that's an amazing answer because when you're busy, the last thing you feel like to get rest is one more thing. Yeah, that's what I need. One more big commitment. Let's just throw that in on top of my overwhelmed life right now. That'll help. Well, remember the guy giving the answers? Now, he's not just any scholar. He's he's the coin. He's the electron. He's got the authority to say, you know what? My answer isn't going to make sense, but that's okay. I made you and I made the universe. I've come that you may have life to the full. You're overwhelmed. You're discouraged. You're empty. You're hopeless without direction. Jesus says, come to me. In Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary, and find rest for your souls. Jesus is the answer. You know, we live in a society that we we pride ourselves on our wisdom. And there's so many books written and there's so much stuff out there. And yet our education does not provide answers to these questions. Jesus does. He gives us hope. He gives us direction. He gives us a privileged status. What's that? All the right to become a child born of God. And the amazing thing is before any part of the universe existed, he saw you and he goes, I got this amazing plan. You know, the problem is never with God's plan. It's how we respond to the plan. I mean, you hear numbers like this and you go, what are the chances of that? That is so staggering. I mean, how in the world could you look at that and then not respond to Jesus? You know what? That's the truth. The chance effectively of Jesus just fulfilling these prophecies, it's zero. I mean, you can add a lot of point zero zero zeros to get to the one, but effectively it's zero. Add as many as you need to convince yourself. Now, it happened by design. It was in God's mind. And he cares about you. And he wants to give you the opportunity to respond. You know, it's amazing. Not only was his birth prophesied about, but right after Matthew opens up his gospel with the birth of Jesus, then in chapter 3, it says in verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You know what's prophesied here is the response. Whose response? Their response 2,000 years ago, your response now, is a prophecy that, that your life would demand a response. Isaiah said this. And what's the challenge? He said, make straight paths for the Lord. You know, the numbers are overwhelming. They're convincing of who Jesus is. But God gave you the choice to respond. He will not force it. He will not back you into a corner and say, you have to. He wants you to. He considers you a privileged child. And he says, I want to give you this opportunity. But you have to make straight paths for the Lord. Where are you at this morning? Where's the paths? You ever gone hiking and you end up, you know, and it's all overgrown and you can't find a path? Maybe that's where we're at spiritually. Well, I don't quite know. I thought there was a path, but all these weeds have overgrown. I don't have any momentum. I can't see where I'm going. I'm completely lost. Well, you have the humility to ask for help. To say, help me make straight paths for the Lord. Maybe you've been studying the Bible. And there's a sin in your life that you just look at and you go, I, I want to change, but this is so hard. I just, don't, I just don't believe that I would be able to overcome. Well, which do you think is easier to believe? That we could just get lucky and pick out the coin or the electron? Or that God actually has power for you to change? You know, when you start looking at that kind of math, you go, oh, my life changing? That's easy. You know, Satan would love to convince you that a radical difference in your life is impossible. It's too hard. You're too busy. You're too far gone. Now, God is the God of the impossible. Matthew wants to convince you that you're special. That you mean so much to him. The birth of Jesus, that that was just his human beginning. Jesus was there before the universe began. So the choice for you is what kind of past will Jesus have this holiday season in your life? How will you live? What will you choose? When you see the amazing feat of who Jesus was. Will it make a difference in your life? You can look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. And leave these doors and go on living just the way you've been. God says, no, make straight paths for the Lord. Let's choose to respond to to God's message to you. It's personal. It's amazing. It's spectacular. It's overwhelming. And if you struggle with doubt or insecurity or you get discouraged, just think about the coin. Or if you like chemistry, think about an electron. And go, what are the chances? And find strength and find faith to respond to God in an amazing way. We're going to stand together at this time. We're going to close out in prayer. And then we'll have one final song.